Praise the Lord, everybody. Pastor Fields here. And yes, today is Wednesday, and the Lord has allowed us to come together yet another time to go into his word and to fellowship, of course, but most of all, to receive a word from the, from the Lord. I, I'm grateful to God for all that he's done, for his patience towards us, for his loving kindness, his mercy. Where would we be? if it was not for God's grace and mercy. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we love you tonight and we're so grateful for all that you do and for all that you are. We thank you, God, for your loving kindness and your tender mercies. We ask that you would bless us through your words. Speak to our hearts and minds. Touch everyone that connects with us on tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I thank God for uh, the people of God here at Greater Refuge Temple in Washington, D.C., and, of course, Saints of God at Refuge Temple Annex in the Bronx, and to all of you who so graciously and so faithfully uh, connect with us week by week, some in different parts of the world, uh, the Philippines, India, Jamaica, the Lord bless you. Well, we're still in our series, uh, A Letter from Jesus. We're in the book of Revelation, and we have been dealing with the seven churches in Asia Minor. And um, we're picking up from last week. We are in Thyatira um, on tonight, chapter 2 verses 18 through 29, and we'll call this uh, lesson uh, part 4b, and uh, we're still in Thyatira, and the lesson title, Jezebel is Loose in the House, and we told you um, <clears throat> that we would break last week's lesson up into two parts, so this will be part b. I'm going to read out of Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. Because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which called herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I'll give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan, as I speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which you have already hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works 
unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. We thank God for his word. Now, uh, again, we are in Thyatira. And this is that, uh, that church uh, of heresy, that, that church where the Lord says, I have something against thee. I know you've been faithful and you've been working diligently, uh, but I have an issue with you because you've allowed this woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, uh, to seduce my servants, to commit fornication. Uh, and to eat meat that has been offered to idols. So, <clears throat> a little rehash. Remember the letters to uh, the seven churches in Asia Minor. And we know that Christ loved the church and he gave himself for it. The church is a body of believers. Uh, reference John, the 16th chapter, uh, where Jesus is praying for the church. That's you and I, a body, a church, a body of spirit-filled, born-again believers. Remember the prayer he prays in the Gospel of St. John. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I've glorified thee on the earth. I've finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Uh, he prays this prayer uh, in this chapter. I won't read the whole entire prayer, but he's praying for the body of believers. These are the children that you gave me. Uh, now, by the time we get into the book of Revelation, John, the last apostle, he is the final one. No one else is alive. The Lord gives him this assignment where he is showing him future things. Uh, remember, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. The Lord took him up and begins to reveal things unto him. Uh, and we're in uh, Revelation chapter 2. Uh, but after uh, chapter 3 in the book of Revelation, I want you to notice something. And, and I, I will eventually get into a series in Revelation itself. And we'll stay there for a while, I promise. Uh, but after chapter 3 in the book of Revelation, the church is conspicuously absent. Uh, I want you to listen to me real good uh, because chapters 1, 2, and 3, we know he's talking to the church. When judgment comes, it must first begin in the house of God. And we already established that each church represents a certain period of time in church history. But it also applies to future things. It gives us 
a revelation of how the church is going to be in the last days, that Laodicean age. Uh, but after chapter 3 in the book of Revelation, conspicuously absent. You don't hear anything else uh, all the way up through chapter 4 on through chapter 20. Listen to me. You're dealing with tribulation period going up through the white throne judgment. And I notice what I'm saying. The church is conspicuously absent. The church, chapter 4 through chapter 20, is not mentioned not one time. And I'm saying this for those who, who for some reason, think the church will be here during tribulation period. Now, uh, if you're listening to me, I, I would agree the normal reaction is to inquire then as to the destination of the church uh, or the location. So where's the church going to be? Where are we going to be at uh, during this period? And we're talking from chapter 4 up through chapter 20. We're dealing with great tribulation, right? Which is a seven-year period. And great white throne judgment. The church is not mentioned at all. Uh, so certainly, certainly the church won't be here in this world, not on this earth during that Hallelujah. It has been removed from the earth. Hallelujah. Church has been taken out of here. That sounds like rapture to me. Yes. So listen to what I'm saying. I'm setting you up for the continuation of uh, Jezebel is loose in the house. These seven letters then have a threefold interpretation and application. Um, Number one, write it down if you have a pencil and a pen and a piece of paper. These seven letters have a threefold interpretation and application. Number one, a contemporary, contemporary, uh, which means they had a direct message. He's writing a letter to these seven churches. There was a direct message to the local church, that particular church of John's day. So he's writing specifically, pinpointing issues in that church. Every church has issues. Every church has some tweaking to do. All right, so it was contemporary, uh, <clears throat> which means it was a direct message to that particular church in John's day. Composite. Contemporary, now composite, which means each letter is a composite picture of the church. There's something that is applicable to all churches, of course, in all ages. And each message to each individual church. So, uh, in other words, when you read the letter to the church, there's a message for your church and the message for you individually. Something you should glean out. So, we're, I'm praying that you will allow the Lord to speak to you as we deal with this series, a letter from Jesus. So there's contemporary, there's composite, and finally there's chronological, chronological. Contemporary, composite, chronological. So chronological meaning the word of God here 
And the seven, these seven letters is giving us a panoramic history of the churches in these seven letters. And that history stems from Pentecost to Perusia. Listen to me. Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, they were all in one accord in one place. That's the birthday of the church. Hallelujah. The Holy Ghost fell and the Holy Ghost is still falling. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, you better get the Holy Ghost because that same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead will quicken our mortal bodies. Hallelujah. And if we believe that he, Jesus died and rose again for us, I understand also that he's coming back to receive us unto himself. That's parousia. That's the rapture. So this history is all the way from Pentecost to Perusia, from the beginning of the church age to the end. And we are living in that, these closing hours of the church age where Perusia is coming at any time. The rapture from the upper room to the upper air. Hallelujah. That song will be caught up to meet him in the air. Yes. So. There are seven distinct, seven distinct periods of church history then. And I don't have time to go through each and every one of them, but uh, we started in Ephesus, right? And Ephesus represents the apostolic church from Ephesus all the way to Laodicea. Laodicea would be the final piece of church history. Or, and that's where many theologians believe this is where we are now where he says, I wish you would either be hot or cold. Don't be lukewarm. Where the church has become watered down and, and lukewarm, he said, because of this, I'm nauseous and I'll spit you out of my mouth. And Laodicea, <clears throat> excuse me, represents the apostate church. So we go from apostolic to apostate. And we've got to make sure that we remain apostolic. So this prophetic picture is largely fulfilled. A lot of have things that we have read have been fulfilled, and but there are many things that are going to be fulfilled, right? Things that have been fulfilled and is now church history, but those things we can apply. And certainly there are certain things that show us where we are right now. So we're back in Thyatira and we're dealing with that spirit of Jezebel that has infiltrated this Thyatira congregation. He gives them honor and tells them who he is. Hallelujah. I'm the one with flaming eyes, meaning that I see all. I'm, I'm looking and watching everything. And I'm the one with brazen feet, meaning I'm coming in judgment. And I'm coming to judge because you have allowed this, you have tolerated this sin, this infiltration, hallelujah, to wreak havoc in my church. So you're dealing with a Jezebelian spirit. So today I want to talk a little bit about dismantling the Jezebel mantle. Jezebel mantle, that Jezebel mantle. And if, if you've ever, um, and I'm sure you have, if you've ever read the book of Jeremiah or if you ever read the book of Jeremiah, uh, it paints a picture 
uh, of a prophet who was horrified as Babylonian soldiers are setting fire to the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, and he's wondering as he watched why the people didn't listen to him. I told you if you turn to God, he would protect you. Come back to God. And they would not listen to Jeremiah. And he's wondering, uh, God is doing everything he said he was going to do. If we walk up rightly before him, there's no good thing he will withhold from. But if we don't turn back to him, 70 years of bondage we're going to have. And the enemy is coming in and destroying the temple in Jerusalem. And he's wondering as he watched why the people did not listen to him. Why had they allowed themselves to be influenced by the pagan nations around them? Yes, even the kings were were bringing into themselves these pagan practices, right? And this, this alludes real strongly uh, to Ahab marrying Jezebel. And we talked a little bit about it, Elihu allowing his sons Hophni and Phinehas to bring prostitution into the house, so much so where they're having, they themselves, the preachers having intercourse with uh, these prostitutes and bringing pagan worship because pagan worship was a part uh, intercourse uh, and perversion was part of pagan worship. And he's saying, why did they allow themselves to be influenced by the pagan nations around them? They just wouldn't listen. And we're living in a time just like that today. People just won't listen to the voice of God. They just won't listen and understand after each letter, at the end of each letter, he signs off, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And even in Jeremiah's day, people wouldn't listen, even in that day. And he's wondering, they wouldn't listen to the prophets. They wouldn't listen to Moses. And as Moses predicted, Moses told them too. Uh, he predicted that if, if you don't listen to God's voice, you're going to fall under God's judgment. And that's for everybody. If we don't obey his word, we will eventually experience God's judgment. I'm going to take you to Numbers chapter 33, verses 55 and 56. But if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land before you, then it shall come to pass that those which you let remain of them shall be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your side. So this is here, he's saying when you get into the promise, get rid of all of these pagans, get rid of them. Don't mix with them, don't play with them, don't marry them, don't bring them into your house, right? Because if you let this remain, Whatever you leave in your life that should not be, he says it will become a prick in your eyes and thorns in your sides and shall vex you in the land wherein you dwell. Now, there are a whole lot of us, a whole lot of the saints are going through things because of what they allowed to stay in their life. God told you to get rid of it, but you wouldn't get rid of it. You kept it around, and now it's, it's vexing you. God said, don't play with it, and you played with it. Now it's vexing you. He says it's going to shall vex you in the land wherein ye dwell. Moreover, it shall come to pass that I shall do unto you as I do 
as I thought to do unto them. In other words, I'm going to judge you. I'm going to deal with you just like I deal with the sinner because you would not listen. You would not obey my word. So now we have this issue in Thyatira because he said you have allowed this woman who calls herself a prophetess. She calls herself a prophetess. She has taken under herself a mantle of leadership in God's house. She has usurped the authority. So we need to talk a little bit about a mantle and what that mantle means. So, um, so let's discuss it briefly. Uh, and, and although there are different variations of the meaning of mantle in the Bible, the main idea is that of a covering or like a cloak, article of, of clothing. Um, the New American Standard Bible uses the word mantle in Joshua. Book of Joshua 7.21, he says, When I saw among the spoils a goodly uh, Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I covered them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. Now, the word in the American Standard Bible there, the covering, he uses the word mantle, same as in Hebrews 1 and 12. Uh, and it says, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up and they shall be changed, but thou art the same and thy years shall not fail. Again, that word there is mantle. Uh, in former passages, the word would be cloak or robe. Uh, but in biblical times, a mantle was, was typically a large, loosely fitting garment made of animal skin, uh, probably sheepskin. Uh, look at Job 1 and 20 or Ezra 9 and 5. I don't want to take up too much time, so I won't read everything, but several people in the Word of God uh, are mentioned as wearing a mantle, right? Um, Job 1 and 20. Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshiped. Ezra 9 and 5. And at the evening sacrifice, I arose up from my heaviness and having rent my garment and my mantle, right? <clears throat> also, the prophets were known for wearing mantles. The prophets were known for wearing mantles. Remember, Elijah, before he leaves, he drops his mantle for Elisha. Prophet Elijah threw his cloak around Elisha, his mantle, as a symbol. Now we're talking about the symbolism, the symbolism, because Jezebel had established or taken under herself a mantle. She calls herself a prophet. She calls herself. The prophet's mantle was an indication of authority and responsibility. Authority. So she took it. I've got authority and I'm the one in charge. She was not chosen by God. She was not operating uh, under the auspices of God's Holy Spirit. 
Jesus writes the letter and says she calls herself a prophet. Some, some theologians have written and said and see the mantle as a symbol of the Holy Spirit itself. She was not operating under the auspices of the Holy Ghost. Um, so here we are. This spirit now is, is loose in the church of Thyatira. So let's discuss this. Let's get into this. Um, this is why um, when leadership is passed on from one pastor to another, from one leader to another, they'll say something like, take up the mantle. Uh, assume the role of leadership that someone else has. So she assumed, she took and uh, there, there are a few variations of this, but basically this is what it means. So, um, so let's discuss further. Let's go. I want to take you to Zechariah chapter 13. Chapter 13, verses 4 and 5. And it shall come to pass in that day that the prophet shall be ashamed, every one of his vision. When he have prophesied, neither shall they wear a rough garment to deceive. But he shall say, I am no prophet, I am an husbandman, for man taught me to keep cattle from my youth. This is Zechariah, but um, he's prophesying and said there's going to be a day where the prophet will be ashamed of his prophetic vision. He won't put on a prophet's garment of hair in order to deceive. And that was Zechariah's way of saying God is going to pull the, these mantles off of these false prophets. Hallelujah. And here God is. Jesus is writing this letter. And he's writing to the angel of the church saying that if you don't deal with this demonic mantle, this, this demonic spirit, that has infiltrated my church, I'm going to come with judgment. This is why he opens up the letter by saying, I've got flaming eyes and feet of brass. My God. So because the angel of the church allowed Jezebel to take roots and take control of the church of Thyatira, uh, he had developed a demonic thorn. Mm. Now listen, when you allow um, sin, when you allow something that is not pleasing to God, that is contrary to truth, to true doctrine and God's holy word, when you allow um, another spirit to take control, to come in God's house and wreak havoc, talking to the leader, he's talking to the leader, uh, that's called uh, a demonic thorn, and it'll cause infection. Have you ever had a splinter, right? Uh, and if you want to get relief, you have to go in there and take it out. Yeah, or else you'll get infection. So, uh, so this demonic thorn, this Jezebelian spirit, uh, pricked the church. Church can be pricked and cause a spiritual infection just like a splinter can cause infection in your finger. So the longer 
uh, this thing is ignored, it, the longer this Jezebel spirit is ignored, the greater the infection. If neglected, the infection can spread and lead to two things. Infection can lead to amputation or death, right? If you don't take care of the, an inf infected leg or foot or finger or hand, right? And if you let it fester, you ignore it, right? And, some, and a lot of times there's pain involved. So in this church, people were hurting. People were being deceived, right? Spiritually, they were, they were hurting. So because of this, this infection was being left uh, and, and it was being ignored for whatever reason, right? And we said last week that perhaps because one, one translation of that particular verse which says you have allowed that woman, right? Uh, one translation uh, in the Hebrews, you have allowed your woman. This is why some theologians say perhaps this woman was the lead elder's wife or the pastor's wife. Uh, but at any rate, you have you allowed it to be so, and now you have this infection, and you've been ignoring it. You've just been looking the other way, right? And and the longer you ignore sin, the greater the infection, and two things will have to happen if you don't deal with it, if you don't take it out. You, you'll either have to cut off the infected area, you'll lose a limb or you'll lose your life. Hallelujah. You'll lose everything. I don't know about you, but I want everything God has for me. So whatever needs to be removed in your life, in your personal life, leader, man of God, woman of God, whatever leadership role you have, don't ignore it anymore. If it's not of God, get rid of it. So to resolve the matter of a Jezebel uh, spirit, it's safe for me to say that God requires his servants to remove that thorn that infects his body. Hallelujah. What, how, can, how can any pastor or any leader just sit there and ignore or see that spirit trying to take control and wreak havoc and not do anything about it? So godly confrontation at times is necessary in order for conviction and true repentance. So he's saying you got to deal with this. If you don't deal with it, I'm going to come with judgment and deal with it myself. I gave her time to repent and she would not. And perhaps one of the reasons why she would not repent was because of the leadership of the ministry or of that church sat there and looked at it and would not rebuke, would not correct. I'll just let it go. Hallelujah. Don't let it go. Get rid of it. Somebody needed to hear that. Put it in the comment section. Don't let it go. And when I say let go, I mean don't, don't ignore it. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. You got to confront things. Conf confrontation is necessary in order for conviction and true repentance to occur. Conviction. Conviction and repentance occur with the help of the Holy Ghost. So a pastor or a leader 
First of all, we understand we cannot force repentance on anyone. All we can do is bring it to them. But in this case, the pastor wasn't even bringing it to them. I'm not going to preach on that. I'm not going to talk on that. I know this is happening, but I'm not going to do it for whatever reason. And this was the trouble with the Jezebel spirit. She took charge. The prophet prophesied what she told the prophets to prophesy. She had, in the Old Testament, Jezebel had 450 prophets that worked in her, I would say, her reformation because she took control. Now, these, these were Israelites, and this spirit took over. This Baal worship, this demon, and Ahab sat there and let her do it. So, and she also had 400 prophets that sat at her table every day and ate with her. And she served them. And when I say served them in every way, in every sense of the word, so she could have total and complete control. And they had to do what she said do. And it was Ahab's responsibility to deal with her. And he would not. Right? And there's something else you need to know. Right? Because we, we give Elijah... Uh, a hard time because he ran from Jezebel, but there's something we overlook. Those people, when I say those people, people that lived in that day, they understood order. It only the king, only the king, only the king could deal with Jezebel. She was the queen. Ah, yes, he was the prophet, but only the king could get rid of Jezebel. He could have had her sat down. He could have had a henchman hang her or get rid of her. He could have put her away. But instead, he gave in to her every whim. Right? So, the Holy Spirit has the responsibility. Right? The angel of the church. The person that is in charge. That person that is over uh, the leadership of that group. And we can pray that the Holy Spirit convicts, we're going back to conviction, an individual who operates with that Jezebel spirit. However, if an individual's behavior becomes obviously malicious, as Jezebel did, and damaging to others, as, as it did in, in the book of, of Kings, but now here in Revelation, it was damaging the church. It was damning. Some people who had given in, they were practicing witchcraft. They were involved in, in immoral practices. And the pastor was not confronting it, right? Uh, decisive and ununified action. Decisive and unified. I'm sorry, action is needed by the pastor. You have to deal with it. You have to deal with it. Revelation 2, 21 and 22, I gave her space to repent of a fornication and she repented not behold because of this, because the leadership wouldn't deal with it, I'm going to deal with it. God always gives us an opportunity to repent and turn from it, right? Because of this, I'm going to cast her into a bed and them that commit adultery with her 
into great tribulation. Mm -hmm. Those who insist on bringing this filth in my house, those who are refusing uh, to live holy, those who have succumbed to this seducing spirit because of their itching ears, they're going to have to go through tribulation. Those who laid in the bed with Jezebel and compromised, hallelujah, except they repent, they won't make the rapture and I'll kill her children with death, the offspring of those who have given in to this demonic teaching, hallelujah. I'm going to wipe them all out and all the churches shall know that I am he that searches the reins and hearts, right? They had robes on, they were in the choir, they were doing this, that, and the other, but I saw their hearts and I knew that they hadn't, they didn't have holiness in their heart, on their minds. They gave into this doctrine. They give, gave into this thing that says, I can live any way I want to live. I can do whatever I want to do. Hallelujah. He says, I'm going to give every one of you according to your works. And isn't there scripture that says somewhere that God is going to judge us for everything that we do in this body according to our works? We're going to be judged. So you say, well, let's go to uh, Revelation 2 and 18. And let's talk about a little bit more. Who was responsible then? When, when a Jezebelian spirit has come up into the house, right? Who's responsible for the removal of that Jezebel spirit? Now, we told you Ahab, the only person that could have and should have removed or dealt with Jezebel's crazy, sinful behavior was Ahab because he was the king. He's whom God, who God put in that place, right? Elijah did his, his uh, part, but Ahab was the one that brought her in in the first place. So who's responsible for removing Jezebel? Listen, chapter 2, verse 18 of the book of Revelation, and unto the angel of the church, and Thyatira, write these things, saith the Son of God, who has his eyes like flame of fire. I see it. I'm looking right at it. And his feet like fine brass. And I'm going to come in judgment. I'm a righteous judge. So the responsibility of addressing the Jezebel spirit belongs to the pastor. Yeah. As the overseer of the flock, this is why each letter is addressed to the angel and the church. The pastor has the authority to confront and remove. The pastor has the authority to confront and remove. And God is saying if the pastor won't stand up and be the pastor and deal with this because I'm the over shepherd, because this is my body, I'm going to come in there and deal with it myself. And as the overseer of the flock, the pastor has the authority to confront and remove. A pastor should not expect a prophet or a revivalist to come up in the house and deal with it. Don't get on the phone and say, listen, doc, I got this issue. I need you to come and preach on so-and-so. No, God has put you over that flock. It's your responsibility to deal with Jezebel. It's your responsibility to confront that demonic spirit 
Yes, a prophet's job is only to reveal an individual who covertly operates in, the, in that particular spirit, who's covertly doing what they should not be doing. This is why I have an issue with all these prophets and all they talk about is how much money, what color your wall is, and you're going to get married. You know, true prophecy in that day, if you was wrong, repent, turn from your wicked ways. If you will not turn, 70 years of bondage will you have. Then God would turn to the remnant the prophet would prophesy again, but say to the righteous, it shall be well with you. So remember the prophet, remember Elijah, and then we said it before, he ran from Jezebel. And his successor, Elisha, realized that only kings had the authority to remove Jezebel. Follow me here. Now I'm back in the Old Testament. Only the king has the power to remove Jezebel. So within these seven churches, only the pastor has the authority to deal with that Jezebel spirit. And Elisha, who came after Elijah, realized that only kings had the authority to remove a Jezebel. So God instructs Elisha to anoint Jehu to be king. And Jehu's name means the Lord Jehovah is he, Yahweh. So let's stop here and discuss it for a minute. Um, yeah, let's talk about it. I want to take you to 2 Kings chapter 9. Let's flip-flop a little bit and go into um, uh, the Old Testament and talk about Jehu because he tells Elisha, I want you to go and anoint Jehu, I'm going to put a new king. I'm going to take down uh, this one and put up another one because I'm in charge. So let's go to uh, 2 Kings, and I'm almost through. I don't want to keep you too long. Chapter 9, um, around verse 30. Listen, and when Jehu was come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard about it. Now, Jehu had been anointed king, and his assignment was to get rid of Jezebel because the only one that could deal with this Jezebelian spirit, because it, it's up here in leadership, spiritual wickedness in high places. Hallelujah. Jezebel heard that Jehu was coming. She heard that the anointing was on its way. You shall be anointed and the anointing shall destroy the yoke. So she said, oh, my Lord. And she painted her face and tied her head and looked out a window. And as Jehu entered in at the gate, she said, at Zimri peace, who slew his master. And he lifted up his face to the window and said, who's on my side? He wouldn't even have a conversation with Jezebel. Listen, when it's time to confront and deal with that sin, when, it's, when, when judgment comes, there won't be no, no conversation like that. There's not going to be any bargaining. Listen, on the day of judgment, it is appointed unto every man wants to die after death judgment. You can't bring nobody else with you. you there's not going to be no bargaining. No. Nobody's standing next to you. Jehu would not even talk to Jezebel. He enters the gate. She, she says, had Zimri peace, who's slow. She's trying to make small talk, trying to test the temperature. 
you know, let me see what I could do. Let me see if I can. No. He lifts up his face to the window and says, who's on my side? Who? And there looked out to him two or three eunuchs. And he said, throw her down. So they threw her down and some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses. And he trod her underfoot. And when he was come in, he, Jehu went in there and then went, went into there and had something to eat. While he's eating, he looks around and says, all right. Um, he eats and he drinks. I'm in verse 34 and said, now go see this cursed woman and bury her for she's a king's daughter. And they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and her feet because it prophesied. Elisha prophesied when God gets through with you, won't be nothing left of you. Maybe the palms of your hand. But when, we, when they finally get a look at you, you're going to be nothing but a skull. The dogs are going to come and eat up your flesh. God's judgment. It ain't time to play. Listen, so get it right. He said, I gave her space to repent. And she would not. There are a whole lot of people today who refuse to repent. And if you don't repent, you'll have to suffer the judgment of God. They went to bury her, the Bible says, but they found no more of her than the skull and feet and the palms of her hands. Wherefore, they came again and told him, and he said, this is the word of the Lord, which he spake by his prophet Elijah the Tishbite, saying, in the portion of Jezreel shall dogs eat the flesh of Jezebel. The carcass of Jezebel shall be as dung upon the face of the field in the portion of Jezreel, so that they shall not say, this is Jezebel. When I get rid of her, you won't even be able to recognize her. I'm going to wipe it out. In the next chapter, chapter 10, he starts dealing with her daughters and the children of Jezebel. That generational mess that the enemy tries to bring in God's house that is not of God. That demonic stuff that people want to mix Hallelujah, with living holy for God and mixing our worship. There's some things involved in our worship today that's not of God, it's demonic. And God is telling the leaders, get rid of that stuff. Get Jezebel out of my house. If you don't get rid of her, I'm going to come and do it myself. And he's talking to leadership. We're, we're, leaders are allowing certain things to come into God's house and God is saying, no, I, I see you handing out tracts and I, okay. And the people are getting baptized, but now you're compromising and bringing stuff in my house that, that should be forbidden. If I don't want it, you shouldn't want it. If I say it's an abomination, you should say it's a, an abomination. If I say it's sin, God said, if I say it's sin, then you should say it's sin. So here we come with two basic approaches in dealing with Jezebel. Announce your conclusion. Here's the conclusion of the matter. You won't repent. You won't live for God. We've got to get rid of it. We've got to move it because I don't want infection and I don't want to have to come and amputate. Identify and address core issues. Don't talk around it. Don't play with it. Identify it 
and deal with it because if you ignore it, if you play with it, it will create infection. So this is why the same issues resurface, right? For many years now, for years, the church has been talking about the same old, same old, same old thing when 20 years ago it would not meet it out. It just ignored it. It just looked over it. Now the same issues are tending to resurface, right? And there is a difference between removal and restoration. We're trying to restore things that should have been removed. And we're trying to remove things that should have been restored. So how would you know the difference? The only way to know the difference is to stay in tune with God's word. Stay in tune with the move of the Holy Ghost. Because God then will tell you when to act and how to do it. You got to confront it. And we can't continue to ignore Jezebel or don't say anything. Today, the church is trying to be politic so politically correct. And in many other cases, the church is saying nothing. We're just looking the other way, right? And we're trying to restore. We're trying to, re but you cannot restore someone who refuses to repent. Someone who refuses to repent has to be removed. Judgment is coming. Let me say this, judgment is coming. And he says, when judgment comes, it must first come to the house of God. So when is the time to act? So I believe the time to act is now. Whatever's wrong, let's deal with it. I hear that song, Get Right Church, and let's go home. I'm getting ready to shut down. Hallelujah. But this Jezebel spirit had come into the church in Thyatira, um, and he... And he's saying to the, the leader of the church, the angel of the church, I gave her space to repent. And she, she would not repent. And because of this, I'm going to come and deal with her. And he's even recognizing the fact that the angel of the church allowed it. You suffered this woman to do this. So here we are, uh, Revelation chapter 2. And he says, behold, I will cast her. He said, I'm just going to go. I'm gonna, I will cast her. She repented not. And because she repented not, I will cast her. So now God is realizing that the pastor, the leaders won't even do anything. You're just sitting there. You're just, you're just sitting there. You're just watching it. Perhaps you agree with it. You're suffering to do it. You allow her to do it. And behold, because of this, I will cast her into bed with them. Everyone that is allowing this to come into their life, those who are signing off on it, those who she was able to deceive and refuse also to repent, right? Uh, those who are committing adultery with her. I'm going to put them in great tribulation. They won't be with me. I'm going to cut them off. That's amputation. That's, that's removal. You can't restore someone who refuses to repent. And her children in great tribulation, everyone that joined Jezebel's church, 
everyone that signed on to be a part of Jezebel's movement. You know, Jezebel, that spirit has its own movement right in the house. Mm-hmm. They're going to miss the rapture. They're going to go through great tribulation, except, now here I see God's great, except they repent. It's time to get it right. It's time to act now. And I'll kill her children with death, and all the churches will know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts and will give unto every one of you according to your works. But God says unto you, and the you that he's referring to in verse 24, those, right? There's always a remnant, no matter how crazy things get, there's always a group of people that are determined to hold on to the word of God to live holy, who refuse to give in, hallelujah, who know the worth and value of repentance and staying before God, hallelujah, and allowing God to live through them unto you, I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira. There was still a group who refused to follow Jezebel, right? I know the leadership, the leadership is looking the other way, but I know the Bible is right. I know Holiness is right. Holding on as many ha as have not this doctrine, as many who have not given in to Jezebel and which have not known the depths of Satan. Now, some theologians say there's, there was even something else festering there. Hallelujah. Another deity other than Apollo and other, other than uh, these other Greek gods that they were trying to introduce in other paganistic ways that they would, Jezebel wanted to introduce in worship. I know there are those, no matter what Jezebel offered them, they were determined to live right before me. I will put upon you no other burden. <laughs> I'm not going to let you go through. I'm going to hold fast to you. You got to hold on to me and I'll hold on to you. But that which you have already Hold fast till I come. You got to say, brothers and sisters, I refuse to backslide. I know, Jezebel, what you're offering me, and I know what the world is offering me. Hallelujah. But I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. I'd rather have Jesus. But that which ye have already, hold fast. Hold fast until I come. How long we got to live saved? Until Jesus comes. How long we got to be holy until Jesus come? I'm coming back for a church without spot or blemish. How long until Jesus come? Hallelujah. Come on, put it in the comments section. How long? Put a dash there. Until Jesus come. That's how long I'm going to praise. That's how long I'm going to live holy. If I live right, heaven belongs to me. Then in verse 26, he deals with the overcomer and his future. Listen, overcomer, I want to speak to every overcomer on this Zoom line. The overcomer is the one that endures. I've been through. I'm being tempted and tried. Jezebel is, is trying to get me to turn from holiness. Hallelujah. Man of God, Jezebel is getting ready, getting, trying to get you to preach what she wants you to preach. Don't preach against homosexuality. Don't, don't preach against this, that, and the other. Hallelujah. 
let them come on in and do what they want to do as long as they pay their tithes, as long as they can sing, as long as they can play an instrument, right? Let them live any way they want to live. Uh, he said, but the overcomer, the one who says no to Jezebel, you have a future. I'm going to read verse 26 through 29. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end. Hallelujah. How long should I keep his works? How long should I preach the truth until the end? To him will I give power over nations. Hallelujah. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. And he that rule them, he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of a potter shall be broken to shivers. Even as I received of my father, and I will give him the morning star. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said to the church. So the Lord promises the overcomer at Thyatira power on earth. Hallelujah. Listen to me. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over nations. He shall rule them with an, a rod of iron as the vessels of a potter. Shall they be broken to shivers even as I received of my father? So this is the same language. I'm going to read it for you. This is the same language that we see in the book of Psalms. Psalms number two, and I'm almost through, but I'm feeling this in my spirit. Psalm number two. He says, why, do, why does the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together mm -hmm. against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee, ask me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Hallelujah. He that overcometh. And here in Psalms number two, some refer to as being a messianic psalm. There's some futuristic, hallelujah, futuristic vision here. It's prophetically sound. Where So the overcomer, I know there are those who have fallen, those who are living in sin and indulging, and they prefer wickedness over the righteousness of God. But to my people, those who stay in Zion, living according to my word, Hallelujah, I'm going to give them the earth. I'm going to make them rulers. It anticipates the day when the Lord will return to smash his foes. Stay right here till I make your enemies your footstool. I'm going to set up my kingdom on the earth. That's millennium. That's millennium. That's after tribulation. During tribulation, we're with Jesus. Those who did not miss the rapture during that tribulation period, we're with Christ, wherever he is. That's where we're going to be, right? I don't want you to be ignorant concerning this. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven. There's going to be a shout. Voice of the archangel, the trump of God will sound. 
those who have died in Christ, the dead shall rise first. And those of us who remain shall be caught up. And we're all going to meet him together. And that's parousia. That's rapture. After the rapture, we'll be with Jesus. Tribulation will come. And after tribulation, we'll come back with him. Hallelujah. And he'll establish his millennial kingdom, 1,000 years upon the earth. He's going to take the, those demons in the bottomless pit. Hallelujah. After, towards the end of millennial, and he's going to release them. Oh, my God. I don't have time to go into it. That's another lesson. But there's some power in God's word. You want to make the rapture. So we got to get rid of everything that's not like God and stop letting the enemy come in God's house and have his way. This is God's house. And this is why he's writing the letter. Don't let the spirit have preeminence in my house. If you don't deal with it, I'm coming with judgment. It's evident that those who stand for God have power with men. It was Abraham, listen to my notes, the Hebrew, the migrant, the separated man who had power when the kings of the east invaded and smashed Sodom. Remember, and they took Lot into captivity. Abraham's power was acknowledged later by Sodom, I'm sorry, by the king of Sodom, who said, surely you are, he's saying, surely you're a great man. They had heard, listen, when you stand for God, even sinners will hear, even demons will know that is a man of God. That's someone who was standing on the word of God. The world itself acknowledges authority of men and women who stand on the word of God. So the Lord promises the overcomer power in heaven. He says, I will give him the morning star. I will give him the morning star. Who is the morning star? I will give him Jesus. You'll have Jesus. Listen, there's an old, there's an old Roman adage or story. Um, there was a Roman uh, patriarch, and this is, this is true historic fact, uh, who had a wealthy father. His father was rich, and um, he had his will written out. And um, the wealthy father, now his son died, and he's reading his father's will, and in his will, he had a slave named Marcellus. He leaves everything to the slave. He leaves everything to Marcellus. In his will, he stipulates that his son, though, could you imagine you're sitting there and your father's will is being read, the, the, the magistrate or the lawyer's reading and said, everything has been left to the slave. And to my son, I give my son the opportunity to choose whatever he wants from my estate. Listen to this. <laughs> Marcellus, he says. He chooses Marcellus. Marcellus has everything. So I choose Marcellus. Jesus has everything. We should be choosing Jesus. The word of God is his will. The word of God is his will. Every day when you read it, you're reading his will. 
And if you know his will, you'll know his way. Hallelujah. We're choosing everything else, but if you want everything the Father has for us, you have to choose Jesus. I choose Jesus. This is what he's saying. Basically, if you want to make it in, you better stick with Jesus. Don't change anything. Don't mix my word with anything. Keep it the way I made it. And don't let anything ungodly come in my house and tell you how to worship and serve and how to live for me. He that overcomes, he that overcomes, I'll give you the morning star. I'll make you a ruler. Yes, over the nations during that millennial period, don't you know that the saints of God are going to have their own territories? And Right? You've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you rule over many. Listen, there's a song that the church used to sing, and I'm glad. But I don't. This is one song I'm glad we, I don't hear no more, where it says, when I get to heaven, I get up there, I'm going to walk around heaven all day. No, we're not. <laughs> no. Not gonna walk. First of all, we're going to be praising and worshiping, and there will be responsibilities. Yes, I can't wait. How about you? I'm going to stop there. I've been talking long enough, uh, but we're going to be back uh, in Revelation going on to the next church. We'll be in chapter three next week. Yes, we will. We're going to continue until we're finished with the seven churches of Asia Minor, a letter from Jesus. I hope I've said something tonight that has been a blessing to you. And we're still in our 21-day fast. And if you have any prayer requests, send them to me, won't you? Admin at grtdc.org. Send those prayer requests to me and I'll layer them on the altar. Uh, we are fasting and praying, believing God for miracles and salvation, doors to be opened, shackles to be loose. And I believe God is going to do it, those, those difficult things things perhaps that we have not been able to give up. God is going to give us the strength to give it up, to let it go so we can have more of him. I'm trusting the Lord for that. I'm asking him to do it for me. Hallelujah. You should ask him to do it for you too. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight for your word. We thank you. Help us to confront those things we should confront so we can remove the things that need to be removed. Hallelujah. We don't want to lose anything that you have for us. We want to be right. We want to be whole. Hallelujah. Help us, oh God, to be the people that you would have us to be. Anything that's not like you, take it away. Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. We stand for holiness, and we only want what God has for us. Help us, Lord. Help us, God. We need your help. We need your strength to continue in holiness, to continue in this way. We pray for our leaders, Lord, everywhere. Hallelujah, that they'll stand up against sin. Anything that's not right in your house that they should get rid of or confront, give them, O oh God, the strength to do so. Not wavering, not faltering, not compromising. Oh God, these are the, this is the leadership you're looking in the, for in these last and evil days. Help us, Lord, all of us. Help us with our shortcomings. Help us, oh God, with our weaknesses so we can stand pure and sure. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you tonight. I love you all. 
Now, if you want to plant a seed in this ministry, you want to pay your tithes, you may do so. Uh, technician will put that on uh, the screen for you. And those of you in Refuge Temple Annex there in the Bronx, in the New York area, you may use Givelify. Father, in the name of Jesus, those who are about to plant seed in this ministry, I pray, oh God, that you would open unto him the windows of heaven in Jesus' name. Amen. I've taken up enough of your time. Let's continue on in this fast. We'll be fasting up until the 30th of this month. You pray for me. I'll pray for you. Until next week, be careful, be prayerful, and be holy. Shalom. Shalom. Shalom.